Since 2008, the people of Barcelona have done something extraordinary. They've turned an overwhelming housing crisis into a process of political transformation. From the slow work of conversations, to the marches and occupations of the indignados, to the formation of a new political party, Barcelona has given rise to many different forms of people power. Today, Barcelona is still governed by the progressive mayor, Aracalau. But how did all this come to be? This story, recorded back in 2017, tells how the city turned crisis into opportunity and made a political vision possible. Let's go. I'm Amanda Tattersall. Welcome to Changemakers, stories about people changing the world. Changemakers also produces Changemaker Chats that are interviews with people making change. Changemakers is supported by the Sydney Policy Lab at the University of Sydney. They break down barriers between researchers, policymakers and community campaigners so we can build change together. Check them out at sydney.edu.au backslash policy dash lab. You can also sign up to our email list at changemakerspodcast.org. Imagine you've been told that at any moment you could be evicted from your home. No notice. How would that make you feel? And one day I was talking with my neighbours and I said, you know, I'm not sleeping very well. A few months ago, James found out that the owner of his apartment building was planning to sell it and kick him and the other residents out. And they were like, no, no, neither us. It was 3.30 in the morning. He texted around his building to see who was awake. All of us. So the whole building, we're awake. It's not a large building. 11 apartments in central Barcelona, all filled with people lying awake, worried about what might happen. It affects our health. It starts with, you know, problems with that you don't feel hungry and then problems with sleep too, of course. That's right, that's right, that's right. Today on Changemakers, I'm standing outside the town hall in Barcelona. This is a story about how a city's citizens decided to stop worrying about the interests of those who claim to own the city and instead serve the interests of those who live there. Only because we are in the door, the eviction is stopped. By standing in the door, you were able to stop the eviction. Yeah. And today we won. Yeah. <laughs> today we won. Feels good. It's so good that I want to cry, you know, and the emotion. It's a pretty extraordinary story. And amazingly, it's a movement that's still growing. May 15, 2011. Thousands of protesters flood the Plaza de Catalonia in Barcelona. That faint whacking sound you hear above the shouting? There? That's the sound of a woman in her mid-twenties, sitting in the plaza, being beaten with a baton by a heavily armed policeman in riot gear. Everyone around her looks on in shock as she clutches her leg in agony. On the 15th of May 2011, 130,000 indignados or in English, the angry ones, took to the streets, camping out in town centres across the country. Why were they so angry? It all starts back in 2009, a few months after the American financial system had collapsed and the world entered the so-called global financial crisis. Spain's economy tanked, but instead of supporting the economy, the Spanish government, 
supported by the Spanish opposition, slashed its own spending, driving a pretty bad recession into a full-on economic depression. The government called it austerity, which sounds harmless enough, sensible even, but millions lost their jobs. Suddenly, hundreds of thousands of people who'd bought houses in the lead-up to the crash were unable to pay their mortgages. Before, if someone ran into financial trouble... The people that could not pay, they just sold the apartment and, and that was over. But now millions of people couldn't cover their mortgage and nobody would buy their property. The economists in Brussels called it a housing crash, but that hardly begins to describe it. It was a catastrophe. Lucia Gonzalez lived in Barcelona and had lots of friends who were affected. No one knew what happened when you were not able to pay your mortgage. The law said that if you cannot sell, you were going to be evicted. One person who faced this nightmare was Marie Carmen. Her trouble started when her daughter was struggling to pay her mortgage. So Marie Carmen agreed to guarantee the loan. A mi hija le ofrecieron como un préstamo they offered my daughter a loan that was a hoax. Nothing but a hoax. But we didn't know that. Within six months, struggling to pay, the banks came in and took her daughter's home. With nowhere to go, Marie Carmen let her daughter and grandkids stay at her house. Unfortunately, that wasn't the end. With Marie Carmen's guarantee, the banks started pursuing her house too. They announced their intention to evict Marie Carmen, her daughter, and her grandchildren. By 2010, there were hundreds of evictions like this occurring across Spain every day. Seeing this, Lucia and her friends decided to hold a meeting about the issue. They put up some posters around the city. 50 people turned up. All of them were like, we're here together, but all of us has one problem, so we want a solution for our problem. They formed a group called La Pa, the platform for people affected by mortgages. It struck Lucia in the first few meetings that all the people turning up seemed to feel ashamed. All the public voices were saying that this is your fault. I mean, if you have a mortgage, it's because you decide to have it. Carlos Matias was one of the organisers at La Pa meetings, where people would share their stories. People arrive feeling guilty. It's my failure. It was my fault. So we discovered that the first thing we have to do was generate assemblies where there is an uh, emotional empowerment when you take out this guilt. You understand that you are a victim of the big scam, the structural failure that is not your fault. Just like in Fight for 15, talking it through together made people realise the problem was systemic. The banks had scammed borrowers and the law allowed it. It was the law that needed to be changed. By now it was 2010. For a year, Lucia had been organising with La Pa. Every day, hundreds of people were being evicted across Spain. People were coming to the meetings, but Lucia and her friends felt like they were on a treadmill. They were helping people through their misery rather than doing anything to stop the problem causing the pain in the first place. Then this man came to one of our meetings and he said... I'm going to be evicted and I'm not going to allow it. And if it's necessary, I will put fire in the house because I won't let them take my house and my kid from there. And we were like, wow, this man is crazy. I mean, we want to do whatever we can, but not, not to put fire in the house. 
The group talked about it. It struck them that both major political parties, the Socialists and the Conservatives, weren't doing anything to stop the evictions. It was up to them to stop them instead. We told them, talk to your neighbours, tell them that we are going to be there this day and tell them that they have to help you. The day of the eviction came. We took a camera to tape it and then two Mossos, which is the Catalan police, came there. And they saw all these people. In the video, a representative from La Paz talks calmly to the police. We're here, we're going to stop this eviction, we're not going to move from here, and you have to decide what to do because we're, we're staying here. And the police was like, mm, we don't know what to do now. It was by no means a huge crowd, perhaps 20 people with signs and some neighbours. There are some old people milling around in support, locals. And they were kind of... I don't know, they didn't know what to do and they just leave. Yeah, 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 this was our first victory. <laughs> they tried again. Yeah, they tried again and again because this is what the law allows. But we, at the end, at the end we stopped it. But our first victory was this and we put it on the internet and it went viral. The lesson was clear. To protect citizens from the system, bold, direct action was required. But that could only happen once people had talked it through with each other and come to the conclusion that the whole system was rotten. After all, most people aren't naturally inclined to disobey the law. And those who participated weren't just fighting on behalf of one lonely borrower. They were fighting for justice for everyone in this position. Like with Fight 15, the sheer ambition made it easier to organise. People could see how they could solve a real problem, not just tinker at the edges. But like all tactics, the direct action that Lapa was engaged in had a shelf life. When the bankers started knocking on her door, Marie Carmen, who guaranteed her daughter's house, enlisted Lapa's help. There were three attempts at eviction that were stopped by Lapa. Every time the bankers told Marie Carmen they were going to evict her, Lapa would stand in the way and physically prevent the eviction. So the bank changed tax. Under Spanish law, they weren't required to name the date of the eviction. So they didn't. They just told Marie Carmen that they would be evicting her at some point in the next three weeks. It was a despicable kind of purgatory. You can imagine. I was unable to sleep. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't breathe. And it worked. Eventually, one morning at eight in the morning, Six fans of anti-riot police came. There was no notice, so La Paz wasn't there. I said I wasn't going to open the door. And they said, if you don't open it, we will knock it down. Then I decided to open the door because I had my three grandchildren sleeping and my daughter also. And so that they wouldn't be more scared I opened the door. Her grandchildren were 12, 9 and 6 at the time. And the kids were saying to the police, you are kicking us out of our house. This is the second time. They took the children from their beds and gave them five minutes to pick up their things. 
There are so many brutal ironies in this story, but the fact that the Spanish government refused to help victims in the housing crisis is one of the more galling. And it's one that was not lost on Carlos Mathias, who became involved in La Paz around this time. You see, under Franco, it was the government who first started encouraging everyone to buy their own house. He said that we must make Spain a country of uh, ownership. If you have mortgage for 30 years, you are, gonna not, you are not going to be able to make a revolution or to go to strike. He wanted Spain to be a nation of owners, and the idea was supported by every subsequent government. It was a kind of unspoken guarantee, underwritten by the entire political class. They say you never will lose with a mortgage, with a property. So when that guarantee fell through and people started losing their homes and the mass evictions started happening, and I mean mass... A half million of families has been evicted in seven years. It undermined a key narrative the government had been telling everyone about itself. But that's not the only irony. In 2009, the government had quickly swooped in to help another group affected by the crash. Banks? The banks, who were now evicting people from their home at a rate of... An average of 184 evictions per day. Per day. You still wondering why they were called the angry ones? May 15, 2011. A day designed to unite the indignados from around the country. 15M. Inspired by the Arab uprising, the idea was to fill plazas across Spain to protest against austerity policies that both sides of politics were supporting at upcoming elections. Essentially, it was a protest march against all the major political parties. 15M is not a movement, because if you arrive here in Barcelona or in Madrid and you try to connect with 15M, there is no a movement, there is no speaker there is no uh, an address, there is no phone number. That's Joan Suberetz, a professor of politics at the Autonomous University of Barcelona. It's not a movement, but an event. An event organised for months, almost entirely through online social networks. Its slogan? We are not commodities in the hands of politicians and bankers. No political party, no trade union was involved in the process. There was no uh, flags, no Classical flags, no red flags, no the Catalan flags, no flags. It was a complete rejection of the entire political class, from conservatives through to socialists. There was even talk of revolution. You need to go out and try to provoke a revolution or something. Those in power were seriously rattled, to the point where in Barcelona, the government, after 12 days of occupation, ordered the protesters be removed from the square by force. 350 police in riot gear, backed by 100 so-called urban guards. But every time the police moved protesters on, the protesters kept coming back. Over the ensuing month, more than 70% of the city's population participated in the protest. 70%. Naturally, La Paz was there. But unlike almost everyone else, they turned up with a plan. And it was anything but timid. For us, it was like the perfect storm. Under Spanish law, if La Paz could get enough signatures, they could petition the national government to rewrite the laws in favour of citizens rather than banks. It was an electric idea and gave the indignados something solid to try and achieve. They needed half a million signatures. 
we achieved 1.5 million because thousands of people were every day during nine months informing the people. Was that all done on the streets? On the streets. Not using technology? No, on the streets. It was a mechanism to spread what was happening. It was sort of mass conversations. Yeah. I just want to take a moment to draw something out. While 15M was organised mainly online, La Paz was mainly offline. And it explains why the demand was so bold. It's hard to overestimate the value of talking face-to-face with other people to make you feel like you can achieve anything. Because it's a collective problem, so we must fight collectively. So they went broad. Their petition allowed them to talk to literally millions of people to raise awareness about evictions and how this problem could be solved. But they also went deep. With a smaller number of highly committed people, they proceeded to take increasingly risky direct action, stopping evictions. This was another key to making La Paz members feel like anything was possible. No, this empowerment feeling was there and then people that were going to be evicted could say it, could fight it. So Carlos and Lucia and their growing team of people took the petition to the government. 1.5 million signatures. A million more than they needed. And they pointed to polling, which showed that 90% of Spanish voters supported the demands. Then one of the most prominent leaders of La Paz, Lucia's good friend, Ada Calau, was invited to address a parliamentary commission about their proposed changes to the law. It was really famous because it was in the Spanish Channel Parliament at 8 o'clock a Wednesday, maybe. A man in a grey suit speaks before her. He tells the committee there's nothing wrong with the current system. He's a banker. Then the camera turns to Ada Calau. Pero este señor es un criminal. Basically, she's saying, I'd prefer to just throw a shoe at him. But I won't, because we have to take this issue seriously. This banker is no expert. He is a criminal. This went viral. In that moment, the opposition of the government was not the Socialist Party, was not another party, was La Paz in that moment. La Paz was the opposition, all right. But they weren't just the opposition party. They were in opposition to the entire political class. All the major parties opposed La Paz's proposal, even the socialists. The government refused to debate it in Parliament. (laughs) Then they went one step further, sending in the police to break up a protest that La Paz had organised. So they start to criminalise us. They say that we were terrorists. It was a devastating blow. Political parties of all stripes had failed them. This kind of organisations wasn't the solution. That moment you feel angry, but we couldn't stay a lot of sad or angry because the next day we have an eviction. Months passed. Perhaps the government was expecting La Paz to fade away, but the evictions continued, hundreds a day, and La Paz continued to get in their way. So Carlos and Lucia and all the people protesting against evictions decided to try the same idea, a petition to change the law, this time at a local level. So we started to do the same process, Popular Initiative Legislative in Catalonia in the Parliament. They gathered the signatures and this time they won. The law changed, in Catalonia at least. It was as transformative as the Fight for 15. 
The law said that anyone who is trying to make money out of housing is trying to make money out of a human need. And as a result, owners can't just do what they like. So you cannot uh, evict it, not mortgage, not rent. You are forced to forgive the debt to the family, to the suppliers say you cannot cut water, electricity to family that, that cannot afford and you must carry with the cost of that. Pretty radical stuff. Over the first nine months of the law, it had immediate impact. More than 30,000 suppliers' cats were avoided. Thousands of evictions were stopped. At last, across the city, people were able to sleep at night. They no longer lived in constant fear of eviction. So what did the national government do next? Appeal to the constitutional court and they suspend our law. I know. Amazing, right? The national government intervened to allow the banks to get on with evicting people. It was almost like the entire representative arm of Spanish politics had forgotten who they were supposed to represent. They were now going out of their way to put their own citizens onto the streets and to make them homeless, all to protect the interests of global finance. As a changemaker, how do you work with that? It must have felt impossible, right? For Samad Lapa, it was a breaking point. Lucia, Arakalao, Professor Subarats and a few others decided they had to rethink their strategy. Again. We had this big power in the street, but the institutions were kind of closed. So you need a new organisation. The, the street has to be empowered. And they started to think about the one institution that had let them down at every turn, political parties. I mean, I think ADA have had different offers before to involve in different political parties, but she always declined because she did believe that it was not the solution. No? Many in La Paz believed that joining a party wouldn't solve anything, and for good reason. This was not a good solution. They had long seen what happened when parties absorbed activists and turned them into sellouts. A person couldn't change anything in an old structure. But more than that, the parties who did agree with what La Paz was saying were, to put it bluntly, losers. They were fringe parties who never won elections. And La Paz weren't losers. They were playing to win. So Lucia and Adekalao decided that it was time to reconceive what a political party was. Their aim? To create a truly radical party that would rewrite the fundamental relationship between property owners and residents and actually win. These people knew how to organise. They had friends on every street corner who'd been through evictions and won. And they knew the issues that people cared about because they'd been living them day and night for the past six years. Now they turned that organising capacity to the task of mobilising votes. Just 10 months after deciding to set up their own political party, running for the first time ever under the name Barcelona on Camus, Arda Calau won the mayoralty of Barcelona. It was a stunning repudiation of the political class.
A longtime anti-eviction activist has just been elected mayor of Barcelona, becoming the city's first female mayor. Ada Colau has vowed to fine banks with empty homes on their books, stop evictions, expand public housing, set a minimum monthly wage, force utility companies to lower prices and slash the mayoral salary. She's been arrested repeatedly for her protests. I spoke to Ada Colau last week. I began by asking her if she was surprised by her victory. Bueno, eh, en realidad, en parte sí y en parte no. In reality, partly yes and partly no. It was a victory that was accomplished in a very short amount of time, but partly it was not surprising because there's a strong popular movement and a strong desire for change. Lucia was also elected to the National Spanish Parliament. But remember, Lucia had always thought political parties swallow activists and turn them into sellouts. So what did she think now? You are there the whole day? You eat there, you have the media there, and you have the meetings, and then the media meetings, and it's kind of disconnected. And if you just get into this, um, I don't know, routine without changing it, you lost your connections with the world. To make sure they remained connected to the people who got them there, Article Hour committed to a listening campaign. Every two weeks or something like this, she went on Fridays to one of the neighbourhoods of the city with an open meeting, maybe two, three, four hours, where neighbours asking about what happened with this. And she's like, if I cannot do this, I'm, I'm lost. And that commitment seems to have paid off. In keeping with her roots, Kalau started off her term by taking on the global financial capital, finding banks who refused to rent out vacant properties. It's an inspiring story. But not everyone at La Paz believes that a shift into party politics is a panacea. If there is not social movements, if there is not mobilisation, you can have the best congressman, or politician or mayor, or whatever. Without mobilisation, is not going to be able to change. Carlos is underselling La Paz there. They don't just mobilise people. They organise them into small groups with deep connections to go out and stop evictions, regardless of what the law says. That's something that's very hard to do once you become a lawmaker. But the combination of Articolau's representative politics with the power of La Paz organising and mobilising, pushing behind it, keeping it honest, that's when anything becomes possible. Because if you want to change the thing, you only can do that if behind you there is people demanding these changes. Lucia and Articolau realised that without representation... All the organising and mobilising in the world wasn't enough. But conversely, Carlos believes that without people power behind them, representatives lose their way. And who knows, Carlos might have a point. La Paz argues that Barcelona needs 80,000 new public homes. As of October 2017, Arda Calau's efforts have stalled at just 3,000. Remember La Paz's petition that was supposed to change the law to prevent evictions? It remains off the table, struck down by Spain's highest court. But Carlos and his friends in La Paz, who decided to stay outside of party politics, remain undeterred. It sort of shows the tension, the difficulty. Like, you can win some stuff at a city level, but you can't win everything. No, not now, not today. But after we approve our popular initiative legislative in Catalonia... 17 parliaments in the state, the regionals, has DEPA knocking the door with our text saying, OK, you must do it here. At the end, you will have 17 regional parliaments that approve laws to protect the housing rights. So you're organising locally to change things nationally. Yeah. 
Either way, it's clear this story isn't over. Indeed, this was recorded in 2017 and plenty has happened since. The movement of independent urban parties has spread through a network called Fearless Cities that was initiated by Kalau and the Barcelona Oncomu leaders. Barcelona Oncomu was re-elected in 2019 and continues to lead city politics. If there was a lesson from all of this, it's this. Sometimes the first ingredient to achieving change is getting people to believe it's possible. Changemakers is hosted by me, Amanda Tattersall. Remember to subscribe to this podcast to catch all of our episodes. This is Series 6, so there's plenty to be inspired by in our back catalogue. This episode was written by Charles Firth. Changemakers' digital producer is Lachlan Hodson. Our audio producer is Jules Bookerer. Our series sponsor is the Sydney Policy Lab at the University of Sydney. They break down barriers between researchers, policymakers and community campaigners so we can build change together. Check them out at sydney.edu.au backslash policy lab. Like us on Facebook at Changemakers Podcast and check out changemakerspodcast.org for transcripts and updates on all of our stories. And don't forget to take a look at our organising school if you want to take a deeper dive into the art of change making. <laughs>